In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. It's been a while since we reflected together on the principles of the secular mind. Earlier in this Trinity season, they were considered, but it's been six weeks or more since their last airing. It may be helpful today to think about them again in the light of this morning's scripture readings. One precept of the secular mind requires that knowledge be based solely on what is measurable and observable. That's an evidence-based approach. It focuses on the physical or material as the primary field and as the only dimension that matters. It ignores the spiritual realities and at times this precept dismisses the spiritual realm completely. The science of the issue becomes the be-all and end-all. The secular mind and the principle that knowledge must be based solely on what is measurable and observable. This has led to some very difficult situations during this pandemic, especially for hospital patients and their families, for seniors in nursing homes and special care homes and their families. In speaking with a representative from the ethicist department of one of our hospitals in an attempt to arrange a visit with someone who was critically ill, a clergy member asked if he could bring a hazardous material suit to the hospital in its bag for inspection put it on along with a mask and face shield and anything else that would be necessary and pay a 10 minute visit with the patient in order to pray with them. Surely donning all of this gear would satisfy the scientific measurable requirements. Unfortunately, the request was denied. The point is that when I or when we as a culture lock ourselves into the secular mindset, we put on blinders and we limit the scope of what is possible. Beyond the laboratory, beyond the statistics, beyond all the measurable dimensions, beyond planet Earth, and all that is earthly, there is the immeasurable, the spiritual, the invisible, the eternal. Beyond all of the material, there are the vast expanses of faith, hope, and charity. There are the glorious mansions of peace, God's peace. And there is the everlasting kingdom of the Almighty Lord the Holy and Blessed Trinity. 
The gospel today speaks about the invitation we have received as members of this planet and race from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The invitation to be with Him, to feast with Him, and to live with Him forever. It is, as you well know, an invitation to commune with Him and with all the saints for eternity as God's family. It's an invitation that extends mercy and forgiveness, healing and salvation. The healing which God offers in Christ is not one-dimensional. It's not for the body alone. It is a divine healing of the whole person that results in new life. A healing of the memories. A healing of my sins. My fears, my guilt, my disappointments, my grief, my addictions, my broken relationships. It's a healing through the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. A healing that unites us with God and brings resurrection and everlasting life. A picture of what that healing can do and what it looks like amongst the people of God. A picture of how it can transform my small, selfish intentions and behaviors is given in today's epistle. St. Paul gave this picture to the church in Ephesus. He told them, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. In spite of, in spite of the limited focus of the secular mind in our culture, here is what is possible within the church, the body of Christ. Worship, thanksgiving, sacrificial love, Harmony, peace, hope. As the pandemic continues, and it will continue, we all know that, the world has entered into a new normal. One that has changed, one that will continue to change the way we live. And, please hear what follows this and. And, as our culture struggles to define and to establish order within this new normal, the church has a major role to play. As the body of the living Christ, the church is God's instrument of hope. She has been entrusted with the gospel, the good tidings of great joy which are for all people. Here's the thing, incredibly, the Lord God Almighty has decided 
to put forth his plan of salvation for the world through the church. Not just now, during this pandemic, but that's been his plan from the very beginning. Through all history, this has been the plan, that the church would be his instrument to bear the good tidings of great joy. Please think about that. Sure, we are in a bit of a challenging time now, but what about the church that was persecuted during the times of the Roman Empire, when Christians were used as human candles or for sport in the Colosseum? What about when the church was facing the very tumultuous times of the English and Protestant Reformations, she was still then God's instrument. What about the church during the Napoleonic Wars or during the dark days of the Black Death that killed an estimated 50 million people in the 14th century? The church was still then the instrument that God chose to deliver the good tidings of great joy to all people. What about the role of the church during the First and Second World Wars? In and through all these times, throughout the history of this broken, miserable world, God has chosen to use the church to invite people, to invite people to his feast, to himself, to his kingdom, to the new and everlasting life of his spirit, which is offered alone by virtue of the victory won by Christ through the shedding of his blood at Calvary. Teresa of Avila, a Spanish nun and mystic of the 16th century, put all of this into a few practical words. She said this, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. It's no accident or random occurrence that the church has survived. In spite of all her controversies, heresies, and challenges. In spite of all her persecutions, it's no random thing that the church has survived. We are here by the grace and power of God to invite those who are living in darkness into the everlasting light, life, and glory of our Savior Jesus Christ. We are here to invite broken and hurting people to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're here to minister God's healing power. We're here, as Teresa of Avila says, 
to bless the world with a different perspective, a heavenly perspective, an eternal one that goes beyond the culture's limited, one-dimensional view of the secular mind. And the signs, the God-given signs of this heavenly perspective are described in today's epistle. There is a picture of the new life of Christ being lived out within the body of Christ in the epistle today. And there are three marks of this new life. This corporate life of the church. The first is worship. St. Paul says, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Worship. The second mark of the new life, of the common new life in the of the church in Christ is thanksgiving. Paul says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the third mark of the church in the new life is love. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. This is our mission, pandemic or no pandemic. Worship, thanksgiving, and sacrificial love like the love of Jesus at the cross for you and me. This gives me great hope and enthusiasm. We're not just hanging on here. The Lord has given us a job to do in his eternal plan for the salvation of the world. The church is his chosen instrument. It's God's work, but we are his instrument. Even now at this pandemic time in Canada, and the hallmarks of our mission, as put forth in today's epistle, are worship, thanksgiving, and sacrificial love. In closing, it's only fair that you know what my intentions and parameters are as the priest and rector of this parish. These intentions and parameters, of course, come from Holy Scripture, and they are subject in every way to the authority of God's Word. Otherwise, if it's not the case, what happens is whoever's got the loudest voice, whoever's got the most money, or whoever's got the most people on their side wins. The church sits under the authority of Almighty God as expressed in His Word. And the priest and rector and the people all together sit under this authority. As expressed by the Book of Common Prayer, these parameters and intentions are laid out in the induction service on pages 668 to 677. If you want to know what the rector's job is supposed to look like, you'll find a job description there. But the exhortation, an additional part of the job description that haunts me, the one that has really stayed with me for 30 years, 
is printed in the ordination of priests on page 648 and 49. I'd invite you to look at it with me if you're still interested. Page 648. The bishop charges the candidates for priesthood with this exhortation that begins at the bottom of 648. The part I'd like to look at is on 649. He says, Have always therefore printed in your remembrance how great a treasure is committed to your charge. For they are the sheep of Christ, which he bought with his death, and for whom he shed his blood. The church and congregation whom you must serve is his spouse and his body. And if it shall happen the same church or any member thereof to take any hurt or hindrance by reason of your negligence, ye know the greatness of the fault and also the horrible punishment that will ensue. Wherefore, consider with yourselves the end of your ministry towards the children of God, towards the spouse and body of Christ, and see that you never cease your labor, your care, and diligence until you have done all that lieth in you, according to your bounden duty, to bring all such as are or shall be committed to your charge unto that agreement in the faith and knowledge of God and to that ripeness and perfectness of age in Christ. That there be no place left among you either for error in religion or for viciousness in life. This is a call to cherish and to care for the body of Christ, which is comprised of his sheep, the people for whom he died. It's a serious, serious call to do all that lieth in you and never to give up. This is my pledge to you by God's grace. It's what I have promised, pandemic or no pandemic. It's about persevering until all has been spent everything. And that could include sickness, suspension of my license, and even arrest. It's what I pledge to you. And what I would put forward as we continue in this pandemic for an indefinite period of time is that we measure what is not measurable. What I mean is this. How do the protocols that are put to us affect our mission? Worship, thanksgiving, and charity. And if at any time we are told to, book, to lock this place up and forbidden to come here for an extended period of time, I am willing to go against that kind of protocol. I'm willing to go to jail for that. I'm willing for us to go out in the woods somewhere and worship together if that's what it takes to continue with the mission of worship and care for each other. 
But we have to measure these things and, and really determine what is worth going to the wall over. The mission is clear. Worship and care for each other. And nothing should dis di di distract us or detract us from that mission. And I'm so glad that we have differing opinions on some of these protocols. It's not fun being in the middle of it all, but it's important. And I mean that sincerely. It's very important to hear from all sides. I want you to know where I measure from, and I've just read it to you. But I want you to know that I'm serious about being suspended or going to jail, whatever it takes to keep the mission going. We are not in this for a mission fail, and we're not in this to be divided by the devil. The priest is to do all that lieth in him, to invite people to the king's table, to what the gospel is talking about today, to the Holy Communion, to the marriage supper of Christ, the priest shares that work of inviting and proclaiming and living with God's people, the holy ones, the smallest saints. We share it together by the power of the Holy Spirit through worship, thanksgiving, and sacrificial love. Trusting, trusting that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, trusting that our King will come again as He's promised. Fear not. For the crucified and risen Lord is with us even unto the end of the world, and He will lead us on through this present challenge. Now unto God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, be ascribed all might, majesty, dominion, power, honor, and glory, as is most justly due henceforth and forevermore. Amen. Amen.